Good morning. I'm Lois. I'm honored and privileged to be with you this morning and to look at scripture together. Today we're continuing in our study of Mark. Surprise, surprise. Last week, Shannon preached on uh, Mark 13, and he covered about four-fifths of it, or maybe five-sixths, somewhere in there. A lot of it, but not all of it. So today, we're going to be looking at just that last bit of that chapter, the conclusion of the chapter that um, Shannon mentioned is often referred to as the little apocalypse, uh, meaning that it's comprised of a lot of material that deals with the end times when the world will be destroyed and when Christ will, when his full reign will be realized. So uh, the book of Revelation, of course, has much more to say about what these times will be like. That's why it's called the big apocalypse. Um, But this chapter in Mark does have quite a bit to say, and it's somewhat terrifying. Uh, In last week's reading, we heard Jesus tell his disciples that these end times will include wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution, family fights, days of distress like we've never seen before, false messiahs, the sun darkened, and stars falling out of the sky, and And finally, finally, Jesus Jesus returning returning in the clouds with great power and glory and gathering his elect. So Shannon's message last week, I thought, was really helpful in understanding this chapter a little bit more. I'd encourage you to listen to it if you missed it for some reason. Um, But this is tough stuff. Um, We could probably spend weeks on Mark 13 and still only begin to understand some of these things that are described in verses 1 to 31. Um, But we're not going to camp out on that part of chapter 13 for any more time. Uh, We're just going to press on. And so today we're going to be taking a look at uh, the last little bit of chapter 13 to see how how Jesus wraps up this end times discourse. We're going to look at uh, Mark 13, 32 to 37 this morning. So Shannon made a comment last week that people are generally in two camps about the end times. Either they think too much about it or they think too little about it. Some people look really carefully at Mark 13 or Revelation and they try to come up with some timeline and prediction about Jesus' return. They use these scriptures to forecast the when and the how of how this is all going to happen. But as we'll see in today's scripture, no one knows when this time is going to be. We do know that these terrible things are going to happen, and some would say that perhaps these things have begun to happen. But whether we have or whether we are, these things are still to come, Scripture tells us that they only are going to be signaling the beginning of the end. And so we really don't have enough information to make any accurate predictions about exactly when Jesus might come back. And people probably need to be a little bit cautious about spending too much time even thinking about it. better spent focused on things that help us to live more faithfully in our everyday lives, right? But then remember, at the other end of that spectrum are the people who think about these end times too little. And I confess, I probably fall into this camp a little bit more. We focus on living a faithful life today, which is good. It's a good thing. 
but we consider very little that history is heading somewhere, that a cataclysmic event is coming, and that the knowledge of that should have some bearing on how we live our lives today. It should remind us that there's an urgency to letting others know that there is a God who loves them deeply and desires relationship with them, and that there's a finite amount of time to come to know him before he returns. The fact that he is going to return should amaze us and excite us. It should spur us on. As Gladys told the kids just a few minutes ago, we're going to see Jesus with our own eyes, and he's going to make things right again forever and ever. It's going to be awesome, and we should probably spend at least some time regularly thinking about that. One author, in speaking about the importance of studying this particular chapter of the Bible, made this comment. Mark 13 speaks to those who expect too much and to those who expect too little. It is especially pertinent for those who have forgotten to expect anything at all. Let's pray. Father, you are a great and glorious God, and we do not want to be forgetters of the things that we have been promised we can expect. I ask God that this morning that um, you would speak, that your voice would be heard um, above anything I might say. God, that you would speak to hearts and minds and souls. Father, that we all might grow into being more fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go to our scripture. Mark 13, beginning with verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is Jesus speaking. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. All right, so remember again, back to last week, what we're looking at today is the last part of Jesus' response to a question that his disciples specifically Peter, James, John, and Andrew, had asked him privately. We see back in verse 4 of this chapter that their question, which had prompted this long discourse by Jesus, they say, tell us when these things, referring to the end times, will happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? So first, Jesus told them all about those signs, and now he finally is going to address this question of when. And what he says is, is not the answer they wanted or expected, probably. They say that even 
even Jesus himself in his present state of humanity with them doesn't know when this is going to happen. His answer to them is that only God knows. But he doesn't leave it there. He has some instructions for them. He says, now that you know this, here's what you need to do. You may not know when, but you know it's going to happen. You know that only God knows when that's going to be. So between now and then, you are to be on guard and be alert. It's because they don't know when it's coming that they especially need to stay vigilant. And so then he tells them a little parable, a little story, to make sure they really get it. It's about a man who is going away. And spoiler alert, this is what Jesus is about to do. This man leaves his servants in charge. He assigns them a, a tasks to do in his absence, and there's one who's left at the door to keep watch. And then Jesus says to his disciples, therefore, and therefore is always an important word to notice, therefore, because of this, because you don't know when the owner of the house is going to come back, keep watch. Because, as every teenager whose parents have gone away for the weekend can tell you, <laughs> when you know the day and time that someone's due to return, you can party freely until it gets close to that time. And then you can get things cleaned up just before the prescribed arrival time, right? But if you're not sure when the parents are coming back, somebody better be on the lookout, right? All right, so Jesus tells them, since you don't know when the owner is coming back, but you know he is coming back, you need to keep watch. He next describes four distinct times when the owner might come back. He says, in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or at dawn. Hmm. Well, the original readers of this text would recognize these four periods of time as what's referred to as the watches of the night. Jews at this time, like the Greeks and Romans, divided the night into military watches. Each watch represented a period in which sentinels would be assigned to be on duty. They would keep watch for a three-hour shift during the night. So that first watch, the evening watch, was from 6 to 9 p.m. Second watch was 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch was midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So why did Jesus go to the trouble of mentioning each of these watches? What is that about? Why detail these particular times? Jesus knew that the life we live now here on earth is nothing compared to the life that is to come. This life is really very much like the night before the dawn of an incredibly bright and beautiful day. That's not to say that life here on earth is all darkness and gloom, although some of us, after these last two few couple years, might feel that a little bit. It's just that when it's viewed in comparison to the glorious light of God's eternity, that we as followers will enter into after this life, well, there's just 
There is no comparison. It is night and day. So we can perhaps then see that Jesus, in talking about these watches of the night, could be referring to the seasons of our lives. He may be stressing the need to be watchful in every season. From the beginning of our faith, throughout our journey with God, as we grow and mature, and continuing on as we near the end of our life in this world. We are to be alert and to watch through all of it. This watchfulness should mark our walk with God from the moment we believe until the moment we die. Jesus is just emphasizing this is a lifelong endeavor. And he's very clear we do not want to be found sleeping during any of the seasons of our life with God. We're not to like take a break, become morally or spiritually lax for a bit, you know, take a little siesta. What if that's when the owner returns? It would be devastating to have him find us sleeping, wouldn't it? And then, if all this isn't convicting enough, Jesus ends his discourse with a very strong statement, making it clear that he's not just speaking to a select few here. He's not speaking to some specially appointed people who are given this particular responsibility. His final words are, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And there's an exclamation point. Okay, so this seems like a pretty clear and important call to action. But I think it's also a pretty interesting call to action. Because think about it. He's made it clear he's going to be leaving. He's made it clear he's coming back. And he's emphatic about what his followers are to do while he's gone. But why is watching the thing he tells us to do? Why is this what he instructs his disciples to do in his absence? Think of all the other things that he could have said. He knows he's leaving them, so why wasn't his emphatic instruction to them remain faithful? With an exclamation point for sure. I mean, he had to know that once he was gone, there were going to be a lot of things vying for the disciples' attention. So why didn't he leave them with a call to faithfulness so that they'd have that instruction kind of ringing in their ear as they were tempted by the other things in this world? Or why didn't he tell them, wait patiently or keep the hope? Because he had to know it was going to be a really long wait. And it seems that that would have been like a really encouraging thing for him to say here. Again, some great instruction that you could remind yourself of as these years tick by. Or what about, and this seems like the obvious, most obvious one to me, why didn't he say, be obedient? When my kids were young and I left them, the last thing I would always say to them was, be good while I'm gone, right? I noticed actually this week that as I leave my house now, 
this is what I tell my dog every time I leave. It just has nothing to do with anything. It was just a really funny thing to make note of as I thought about this message. Uh, It's a hard hard habit to lose, I guess. Be good while I'm gone. I mean, that just, that makes sense to me, those things. Um, You know, Jesus definitely wants his followers to do all those things as we wait for him to return. To be faithful, to be patient, to continue to have hope, to be obedient. These are all definitely important things. And we could probably add many other things to that list, right? Serving and giving and on and on. But it seems like what Jesus really wants, and I find this pretty fascinating, is for us to focus not on things that we're doing, but on what he is doing. How his kingdom is breaking through into our broken and hurting world. How his love and grace and mercy are all exhibited around us. I think we sang about it a minute ago. Seek first his kingdom. And you will be, you will see it. It's the importance of watching for it, right? What I've noticed in my own life is that those other things, obedience, faithfulness, patience, hope, those other things actually come about in me as I live out that command to watch for him. That those things and all the other things that are part of a healthy, fruitful, thriving life with God those are all sort of byproducts of watching for him. Of seeing for myself a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more his power and greatness, his ability to restore and redeem, his goodness, his light, infiltrating the darkness of my earthly life. That when we watch for God, for his redemptive activity in our lives and the lives of people and situations around us, that we're actually the ones that grow in faithfulness. That we somehow become more patient and have more hope. That we develop a desire to and more naturally act more obediently. Let me assure you, these are things I cannot conjure up in myself. Believe me, I've tried, and I've failed miserably many a time. But somehow, when I allow my focus to shift from myself and look instead for what God might be doing in the world around me, I find I am changed. And I'm not saying this is easy. (laughs) I think we as humans have a pretty strong tendency to focus on ourselves. It takes some intentional work to overcome that. 
And that's probably why Jesus was so emphatic about his command here. That's probably why that exclamation point is there, because he knew we needed a lot of encouragement. Something happened this week that I thought was kind of helpful, hopefully helpful, uh, in understanding some of the barriers that we might face as we consider what it takes to follow this command. So the other day, uh, someone near and dear to me uh, was on a FaceTime call with a friend, and I overheard part of the conversation. Just to clarify, I was not eavesdropping, okay? They were just nearby, they were talking really loudly, and I just sort of accidentally overheard, okay? So the friend commented uh, that it looked, this friend that was on the other end of the line commented that it looked like my friend had lost some weight. And my friend delightedly said, I have, thanks for noticing. And I thought, oh, why haven't I noticed that or complimented him on this? I felt kind of bad for missing it. And so I immediately came up with a few excuses, you know, I mean reasons, right, (laughs) for my negligence. So first of all, I thought, I see this person every day. He's just so familiar to me that I'm not really looking for anything new or different from him. Okay, now I have to admit, it's possible that I'm just not a very observant person. One time my husband shaved off his beard and like several days later, he's like, do you notice anything different about me? <laughs> and, uh, the, and even then he had to tell me. So I'm just, maybe I'm just not very observant, but um, maybe a little oblivious. So, okay, but second of all, you know, I've been really busy writing a sermon. So I frankly haven't had a lot of time to spend with my friend, okay? Uh, And then third, I wasn't expecting any change in him. I had no idea this person was working on losing some weight, and so I wasn't even looking for it. And I thought, as I was thinking about this message, I thought, wow, those excuses or reasons for not noticing what was happening right in front of my eyes here kind of speak to the same reasons why all of us can fail to notice how God's kingdom is breaking through in the world around us. I don't know. See if any of these resonate with you. (laughs) Well, first of all, we can just become so familiar with this world that we fail to look for or notice anything that's different. We can just be kind of oblivious. Second, we can get so busy with whatever it is we're focused on in our own lives that we just fail to put much time or effort into our relationship with God. And so we don't see those new things that he might currently be up to. Or third, we can simply not have any expectation to see anything new. And so we don't. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Because there are things to see. I love Gladys' message for the kids this morning. It was great, as always. She's amazing. Her encouragement to them was that in all sorts of ways, be on the lookout for ways we see God moving in our world. And she gave them and us such a great list of practical ways to do that. 
And I was so glad she was doing that because then I don't have to give those. You can go back and listen to the children's message if you didn't get those, but uh, she had many, many great ideas. Um, But you know, we can hear those ideas, but what we really need is to develop some rhythms and some disciplines that help us to actually do them, right? So I have a little challenge for you. Easter is in two weeks, which is mind-blowing. So I want to challenge you to consider committing just for these next two weeks to watch for God actively. You could probably even get Gladys to give you one of those bracelets if that would be helpful for you. So (laughs) Um, I would encourage you to take, to have that mindset and then at the end of the day, each day for the next two weeks, take five or ten minutes just to look back at your day and note down in in a notebook or in a note on your phone or something ways that you saw God at work in some way. Again, you can go back to the children's message for some ideas for things to look for. I think you could probably think of some things. But be really intentional about this. And then sometime on Easter weekend, set aside some time to read back through those notes and spend some time just reflecting on how this exercise has encouraged you or helped you to grow in your understanding and your relationship with God. It's a pretty simple exercise. It's really kind of an experiment. I don't know if it's going to work, but it seems like a good thing to try. It might even be something that you want to continue to do. You know, it's, I think it's just so easy for us to miss out on how God's kingdom is continually breaking through in our dark world. But it is. We can just miss it if we're not intentional about looking for it. And Jesus knew this about us. One day, Christ will come again, and he will come to reign as king forever. And it will be more glorious than we can ever, ever imagine. But God's kingdom rule is not just in the future. It is breaking through all the time. But we've got to watch for it. We've got to actively, intentionally look for it. And as we watch for it, we will see it. And as we see it, we will begin to experience more and more and more of the good and abundant life that we are promised through Christ. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, good and gracious God, we acknowledge that you are doing things that we miss. Your kingdom is breaking through. Your grace and your mercy and your love are pouring out around us. Open our eyes, God, to see that. 
And as we see it, to get a glimpse more fully of the truth of who you are. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.